So today's sermon is, is really a continuation of last week's sermon. So if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I encourage you to go online uh, on the front page of our website. Just scroll down to the bottom and you can click a button that says listen or watch and then you can catch up. But today, today's kind of the more the application portion of last week's sermon. So it's really just continuing on. So last week we talked about what it meant to be a new creation and talked about an ambassador. Uh, mainly, what is a new creation? What is, what is made new? What is old? That kind of stuff. And now we're going to try to answer the question, what does this look like in our daily lives? Uh, practically, what does it look like and how I'm going to live? And so we're just going to take a, a variety of passages, really four passages. We're going to turn to each one. We're going to read each one. And we're going to hear in there instructions about our daily life. And, and this is what it means to be a new creation. So the reason we get instructions about how to live is because before we're saved, we don't know how to live. Uh, our ideas are, are either false or incomplete. Our motivations are wrong. Our source of information may not be accurate. And after we're saved, it, it, there's a transformation of our mind that takes place. We learn to think differently as well as act differently. Our motives are different. And, and so the Bible gives us a lot of instruction on what our life will look like after we're saved. So we're going to look at a few passages. We'll read them and discuss them, and we'll fill in uh, the blanks on our notes. So we're going to start with Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now, interestingly enough, just a little side note, I want you to know that the paragraph markers and chapter changes are not inspired. In the original Bible, there was no big number four, there was no title, and there was no little number one, two, three. It was just written out, and, and they could tell by their culture, their language, their grammar, how to read things. And in the course of translating, we have added these features to help us know where we're at and break things down into thoughts and things like that. And honestly, the first verse in chapter 4 should be the last verse in chapter 3. In other words, chapter 4 should start with verse 2. Notice it in the, the title at the end of chapter 3 is Instructions for Christian Households, or something similar to that. And it, it gives instructions to wives, to husbands, to children, to fathers, to slaves. And then chapter 4 starts with masters. Well, masters would have been the last person he talked about. And those are very specific categories. And so uh, the, the writer of Colossians, which is Paul, gives us these categories. And if you want to read those, if one of those matches with who you are, it gives you a little bit of insight into what God expects from you individually. But chapter 4, verse 2 is the, and now all of you portion. So this is the kind of what's for everybody in these instructions. So we're going to kind of concentrate on, on actually verse 2 through 6. So let me start there. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now we need to stop there. There's a couple of words that, that make a big difference. Devote yourselves to prayer. We get that. I think every one of us, if we say, do you pray enough? You'd say, no, I don't pray enough. Do you pray well? Well, I try to play, pray well, but oftentimes I feel like I'm not praying well enough. And, and so the instruction to pray is not that, not that new. What's important here is the phrase, be watchful and thankful. So when it says be watchful, it doesn't mean pray with one eye, one eye open because the enemy may be sneaking up on you. It, it means 
pay attention to the, the world around you, to life around you, to the issues around you, and be praying for those things. Watch, watch the people in your family to see what their needs are. Watch the people in your church to see what their needs are. Pay attention to your co-workers to see what they're struggling with. Pay attention to your neighbors. Be aware of what's going on around so that you can pray intelligently and you can pray on task. A, a really huge example of an incorrect way to pray watchfully would be to pray for Aunt So-and-So, who's a devout believer who's served God her entire life, praying for her salvation. See how that misses the mark? We don't pray that saved people get saved. And so we, we need to know where people are at, what they're doing, what their needs are, in, in, in all areas of life, so we're watchful. And then we're thankful. Thankful is, is the attitude. I'm going to pray with an attitude of gratitude in that I know this is a difficult time you're going through, and, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you find relief. I want to pray that you find answers. I want to pray that it's short. But I'm also thankful that God is walking beside you through this. I'm thankful for the lessons he's going to teach you. I'm thankful for the lessons others are going to learn through you. I, I'm thankful that, that God invests in us and doesn't just leave us to our own devices, but he actually allows these things to happen so we can grow stronger. And so devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Verse 3. And pray for us too. Who's the us? Well, it's Paul. It's, it's his, his compadres. These are the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers who travel with Paul. Pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I, I am in chains. Chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is really interesting to me. Because Paul, who wrote all these books of the Bible, who talked before all kinds of crowds, who addressed the philosophers and kings and magistrates and, and Jews in the synagogue, Paul addressed all these people. And he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Pray that it makes sense. Here's a little inside story into the life of uh, Teresa and I. She gets big eyes when I say that. Um, I used to pray at dinner, and I used to pray, please let the food taste good. And I thought that was a great prayer. I prayed it every meal. It was like the go-to closing part of the prayer. Please let the food taste good. And one day she says, is there something wrong with my cooking? I go, no, it's great. Look at me. I eat a lot. And, and she's like, then why do you keep praying that it tastes good? I go, well, we're supposed to ask God for what we want. I want it to taste good, so I'm praying for it. And she said, you want me to pray that your sermons are good? And I said, I said, yes. I do every Sunday. And, and it's just a, it was, I love that story because it's so funny about how we looked at things differently. Paul is literally saying, pray that my sermons are good. Pray that I, I proclaim it clearly. Now with Easter Sunday coming up, with invitations going out into the community to come to church and, and, and hear about Jesus and hear about the resurrection and hear the gospel, this is a prayer that, that I hope you're praying. And if you're not, start every day. Father, I pray for Pastor Dave that when he prepares his Easter sermon that you'll give him the words to say that, that make sense, give him the tools 
give him the creativity, help him to really give a message that people can understand. And, and so Paul asked for this. Pray that we may proclaim it clearly as I should. Then he says, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders, wise in how you act towards unbelievers. How are you treating the unbelievers in your life? Are you ignoring them? That's not wise. Are you looking down on them? It's not wise. Are you criticizing them, talking behind their back? Are you treating them in ways you wouldn't want to be treated? That's not wise. Wise is to treat them how Jesus would. Accept them for who they are. Pray for their salvation. Realize that they're sinners who need saved just like you were before you were saved. Realize that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. We'll talk more about that in another passage. Make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity, make the most. Uh, when I'm shopping and I have a conversation, uh, when I'm on the telephone with a dear friend, when relatives come to visit, when, when family comes on a Sunday, when um, my kids are on a Little League team and all the parents are bound to be there for an hour every night, captive. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So if you're treating people respectfully, you're watchful of what their needs are, and you're praying for those needs, then if those things are happening, then when the opportunity comes for a conversation, you'll have the right words. You'll be able to answer everyone. So there's our first set of instructions, and it's in your Bible. It's even under the title, Further Instructions. How to live the Christian life. In your notes, let's fill in some blanks. Devote yourselves to, this is a word I want you to write, relevant, thankful prayer. Devote yourselves to relevant, thankful prayer. Now, for a two-year-old or a three-year-old, now I lay me down to sleep may be quite relevant. That may be all they're ready to deal with. If, if you're 18 years old or you're 28 years old or you're 38 years old and, and that's a prayer that you pray, it's really not relevant anymore because you've moved past that. Okay? God bless mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa and, and who else? Uh, very relevant for a small child, not relevant for an adult. Um, asking things that are ridiculous, like it, I, I really hope that it doesn't snow this August very unlikely it's going to snow in August. It's not really a relevant prayer. The relevant prayers are the things we've observed while we're being watchful. Remember that word, watchful? I noticed that so-and-so was having a bad day. I didn't get a chance to ask what it was, but I'm going to pray for them that God will meet them where they're at. So-and-so asked me a question today that's got me thinking. I'm going to pray that I have a good answer next time we talk. I'm going to pray that God softens their heart. I know so-and-so, cousin so-and-so, aunt so-and-so. I know this family member that's not saved. I'm going to pray for their salvation. I know they're sick, so I am going to pray for their sickness, but I'm going to pray that God speaks to them through their sickness. I'm going to pray that they, they learn through this process. So relevant prayers and thankful prayers. Thankful that God is active and working in someone's life. B, Pray for your leaders that they may have an opportunity to proclaim God's message freely and clearly. Paul was in prison at this time, 
And even in prison, he had freedom to share with people. We pray that we have the ability to proclaim it freely and clearly. So there's no one walks out the door going, well, that was interesting, but I, I don't get it. And it, it can't be because it wasn't explained. It can only be because they're not ready for it yet. And then God will work in that process. See in your notes, be wise. It's the word straight from Scripture. Be wise in your activities, conversations, and attitudes. There's a lot of stuff that you're permitted to do in the, in the world of activities. There's a lot of stuff that's not sinful in any way. There's a lot of stuff that may be sinful for somebody and not for somebody else, and it may fall into the not-for-you category. There may be things that you're perfectly permitted to do because they're normal, everyday things that simply aren't wise for you to do. So, take it, so be wise in your activities. If, if I totally devote myself to this activity to the point where it takes me away from family, from church, from relationships, that activity, which was perfectly okay in and of itself, has now become unwise. And you can fill in the blanks with a lot of things. Uh, let's let you think about those things. Be wise in my conversations. Oh, man, you know, I've really noticed that it's been stressful at work, and everyone is, is acting out but you. It's amazing that you're able to handle this stress. What's a wise response? Well, you know, if it wasn't for my relationship with God, that probably wouldn't be true. Or, you know, I've grown in this area a lot because of my faith. Or even, well, you know, a couple years ago, I would have been right with everybody else, really nervous and freaking out about this. But I got saved a year ago, and I look at things differently. Those are those wise conversations where we bring God in and make him a part of things. And then our attitudes, how I look at people, how I look at my job, how I look at tasks, how I look at ministry. Am I in it for me or am I in it for others? So be wise in those things. And then D, take advantage of whatever opportunities God gives you. Whatever opportunities they are. I already described some. But there's little opportunities that happen all over the place. A conversation here, a comment here, a phone call, a text message, an email. Little opportunities that present themselves for you to represent God as his, as his ambassador, being a new creation. So that's just from Colossians 4, 1 through 6, just some application of what it means, what it looks like to be a new creation. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. It's a much longer passage. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it maybe a little faster than the other one, less comments, but really pay attention as we go here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. We would look at that as anyone who's an employee should look at their bosses with full respect. That would be the best translation into our culture. Why? So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Because we are a witness to our boss. And we are a witness to our co-workers. So how we respect our boss is a witness to them and those around us. Verse 2. Those who are believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them 
as, follow, as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. You might look at a believing boss and say, well, it's okay, I get a little extra slack because we're both, we both go to the same church. Uh, I, you know, we're friends, so I don't have to follow all the rules. No, Paul's saying, go the extra mile. Go, go even farther to be the best employee ever because he's a fellow believer. He says, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. There is so much in that paragraph. We don't need to be arguing about controversies and over words. And this, these are the things that don't matter. These are the peripheral things. We're going to argue about what someone said who doesn't live anywhere near us. Uh, someone on TV, I'm going to spend an exorbitant amount of time on an issue that doesn't touch me. It's not something that I need to do. I'm going to argue over what this word means and what that word means when, when I'm missing the point by having that argument. And then the last thing, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in viewing church as a place to, to make a living. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If you haven't lived this, you have probably seen this. The desire to get rich quick, the desire to, to make some money, the thought that money will solve my problems and, and, and create joy in my life, that, that desire, that thought process, it says it, it brings you to temptation and it's a trap. And if you fall into it, it leads to destruction. So some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of, of the entire life to which you were called when you were, excuse me, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who, will, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep his command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom has never, excuse me, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might, mighty and might forever. Amen. He puts a little prayer in there, a little praise to God. Verse 17, he picks up the conversation. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves 
as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is, that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So there's a lot in that chapter. Let me pull out a few things I want to mention. In verse 1 and 2, fill in your blank here. A, show respect for your boss, especially if he or she is a believer. Show respect for your boss. I mentioned this is a, this is a testimony issue. It's a character issue. How do, you, how do you win over someone who mistreats you? By returning their mistreatment with love. By respecting them. By showing them that they are valuable to you because they're valuable to God. Your um, kind word when they bring a harsh word, your respectful tone when they bring a disrespectful tone, these are the things that will cause them to say, oh, you're different than most. What, what is the thing that makes you different than most? Be in your notes from verse 4. Don't waste your time with controversies and quarrels about words. Now, this, is a, this can be a tricky one because we like to know about things. We like to hear about things. We like to know if they're right or wrong. We like to make a decision. We, need, we like to know whether we should listen to someone or not listen to someone. And we are called to do that in many places. We are not called to make that our thing. Where this is all I want to talk about. It's all I want to read about. It's the only scripture I want to study. This is the thing that I will bring up on every occasion. And, and it's just going to be my thing. We can take very good things, things that the Bible does teach and that are important, and we can so emphasize them that we neglect all the other parts that are also important. That's what's being warned against here. Don't waste your time. Don't waste other people's times with controversies and arguing about words. See in your notes, learn to be content with what God has given you. The idea that more money and possessions will solve problems and make you happy is a trap that ends with ruin, destruction, and grief. So I want to avoid ruin, destruction, and grief. No one has on their bucket list, oh, I want to, I want to experience ruin, destruction, and grief. If only I can do that before I die, that will be great. No, we, we kind of want the opposite. But if you are experiencing ruin, destruction, and grief, you might ask yourself, how am I looking at my possessions? How am I looking at what God's given me? Am I content? If God's given me uh, this level of existence, am I content with it? If he gives me more, will I be content there? If, am I always looking to the next level? Am I always asking God for the next thing? If, if that's what I'm doing, that may be the, the very reason why God says no, because you're not content and you're thinking about yourself instead of others. The content person sees their money and possessions as things to help other people solve their problems. It's not a trap for me to become conceited or greedy because I see it as God's provision to be generous and loving. So someone who's serving God as a new creation will start to look at their stuff differently. I have two. I can give one away. I can loan one out. I only have one. I can risk it being broken by giving uh, to someone to borrow for a little bit who needs it. 
I can give up my time and my energy and these kinds of things. So as a new creation, we're to be content with what God has given us. Really, contentment means focusing on what I have rather than what I don't have. What can I do with what God has given me? What has God given me? What was his purpose? Rather than, if only God gave me, I would. Contentment is going where, where God has not provided. So D, live such a life that it honors God, pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. There's a list of things. You can study those words. We honor, we honor God by obeying him, by listening to him, by doing things his way. We pursue righteousness. We strive to be the kind of person he wants us to be. The godliness pretty much the same thing. Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We live in such a way. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actively live. I'm going to go to work asking the question, who can I interact with today in a positive way that sheds the light of Christ into their existence? I'm going to ask the question, God, why did you provide this for me? What have you done for me? Can I use this to serve you? Can I use this outside of my own home or outside of my own existence? I'm going to live a life that, that I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm, I'm listening for opportunities to answer questions. And then E, we don't trust in riches. My faith is not in my checkbook. My security is not in my balance. Okay? The stuff I have parked around my house and piled up in my house does not give me a good feeling. Okay? I don't trust in riches. If you have riches, you must humbly help others. Humble is the attitude. Humbly help others. Share what you have and give generously in ways that honor God. Why? Because you recognize that what you have was given by God. You literally say to yourself on occasion, I wouldn't have this if God didn't give it to me. You never say, well, I have this because I worked hard. And if you worked hard, you could have one. Because you can work really hard and still not get the thing, whatever it may be. Whatever you have, you have because God has allowed you to have it. Maybe God even gave it to you. And if he's allowed you to have it or if he's given it to you, he has a purpose for it. So I start asking the question, what is the purpose for what I have? What am I supposed to do with this? How can I honor God? How can I serve God? How can I draw people to him? And it doesn't, by any stretch of the imagination, condemn anyone who has nice things, who has worked hard and accumulated, who's saved. And it doesn't negate anyone who lives paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't look down on the one who doesn't have, and it doesn't lift up the one who does have. He really says in both categories, contentment is the key. Take what I've given you, figure out how to live the way I've asked you to live, and move forward. And that's First Timothy 6. Those are the things I wanted to highlight there. Let's go to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is a parable of the bags of gold. And I'm just going to summarize this for the sake of time. It's not that long, but you're probably familiar with the story. It's a parable. So it's a story that's told to teach a lesson. And the story is that a rich person pulls three people to his, to his side and says, Hey, I'm heading out of town. I'm going to give you some gold. I want you to invest it while I'm gone. To one guy, he gives three bags of gold. To another person, he gives two bags of gold. And to the third person, he gives one bag of gold. 
He leaves town. He's gone for a long time. He comes back. And the first person reports in and he says, hey, you gave me three bags of gold. I have doubled that. I have increased in value these bags of gold. Here is your gold. And the rich man looks at him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done what I asked you to do. Now I'm going to put you in charge of more things. Come into my kingdom and enjoy your reward. The next person who got less, I think it was actually five, three, and one, but the, the person in the middle who got the, the either two or three bags of gold, he says, well, I had this much and I invested and I also doubled it. Here's your gold. And he got the exact same reward. The exact same speech. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. You did exactly what I asked you to do. Enter into my kingdom and enjoy your reward. The third person who had one bag of gold said, You know what? I, I was scared and I was nervous because I knew this was valuable and it was yours and you're a very important person. And so I buried it so no one would ever find it. And now that you're back, I went and got it. Here's your gold. And he got a different speech. He was called foolish. And he said, I gave you instructions and I told you what to do, but because you were scared and nervous, you didn't do it. You could have at least put it in the bank right where it would draw interest. In other words, you did nothing. I gave you riches and you did nothing. And I think the point of the story, there's many points, one I want to make today is that if the person with the least had invested it in any way, God would have said, good job, you've done what I asked you to do, here's some more, go invest some more. And would have worked with them, and would have encouraged them. But that's not what happened in the story. And so let's look, let's look at our notes. A, we're to use whatever God has given us, whether it's a, a, a five bag of gold value or a three bag of gold value or a one bag of gold value. We're to use whatever God has given us in whatever amount he has given it within the circumstances and life experience God has placed on us. You know, it very well may be that the, the one who got the five bags of gold got five bags of gold because they were experienced in dealing with the, those larger sums. And it may very well be that the one who got the three bags of gold had that level of experience and that level of skill and could handle that level of investment as well as the one who got the one bag of gold. It may very well be that the level of experience of the person who got the one bag of gold, his response would be to invest it in someone else's investment. Hey, a person with five bags of gold, can I put my bag with your bag so it will gain as well? Mr. Banker, you, you, you invest well. I've seen your returns. Can I put my bag of gold in with your gold? So that each one was given a, a, a gift equivalent to their ability and equivalent to their circumstances and their opportunities. So whatever you've been given and whatever amount, whatever circumstances and life experience God placed us, we, in, we, we have to act according to his commands and within his boundaries. We're responsible to take what God has given us and use it, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. So be in your notes, there's a phrase, whatever he has given us. It could be a home. It, it could be an act for hospitality. It could be knowledge of, of God's word or knowledge of a, of a field. It could be wisdom, administrative skills, craftsman skills. You, you may be very creative. You may have more time to work with than most people do. 
You may have a specialty skill. You, you may have a, a special knowledge of the Bible because of how you grew up or school you went to or things you invested in. We all have spiritual gifts, and some of us have talents that we were born with. We have opportunities, resources, and then I just say stuff because it just goes on and on and on. Whatever he has given us, we're, we're to invest. So when you become a new creation, we become an investor in the kingdom of God. C says whatever amounts, and I just put novice, amateur, professional, enough, plentiful, and excess, just to, just to acknowledge that there's different levels of our skills and different levels of our circumstances. And God says, whatever you're at, I've, I've given you this to invest. And it doesn't matter if you're poor or wealthy, you, you live in an urban setting or a rural setting, whether you interact with someone daily, weekly, monthly, annually, whether you're up front or behind the scenes, whether it's a hard task, a mundane task, or a simple task, none of these things matter. Th th this is not part of the story. The story is, I gave you something to steward for me. I gave you something to invest for me. I gave you something valuable that belongs to me so that you could use it to further my kingdom. And then the question is, did you use it? If you use it, you're rewarded. If you don't use it, you're disciplined. So as a new creation, I will be investing. Let's look at first. First Peter, First Peter chapter two. We'll, we'll read th three sections here. First Peter two, one through three, says, "Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind." So, as a new creation, I'm going to get rid of my evil thoughts. All those things can be summed up as evil thoughts: malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. I'm going to get rid of my evil thoughts. Verse 2, like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what he's saying is quit, quit, quit having the evil thoughts. Get rid of the evil thoughts. Replace those thoughts with my word, with, with spiritual thoughts, with nourishment from the Bible. Because if you, if you get up on Monday and you say, I'm not going to think about these things, but you don't replace those thoughts, guess what you'll be doing by lunch? You'll be thinking about those things. You've got you to gotta take something out and you've got to put something in. Verse 11 and 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, some of your Bibles say aliens and strangers. Think of an ambassador. To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing what is wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. How, how are we supposed to live? We're supposed to live such different lives that even the people that are against us can't help but acknowledge your faith. Can't help but acknowledge that, that you're not like everyone else. They can't help but glorify God because of who you are. And then verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So in your notes, A, stop thinking and acting like you did before you were saved. New creation. 
Stop thinking and acting like you did before you were saved. Your, your processing should be different. B, grow in your faith by the spiritual nourishment of God's Word. Stop thinking like the evil person you used to be. Start thinking like the godly person you, you are now created to be. And you get there by nourishing yourself on the Word of God. C, live such good lives that your enemies have no choice but to acknowledge the changes God has made in your life. And so you're living an honest life in front of people so they can see who you are. And then D, have a proper view of others. A proper view of others. Respect, love, fear, and honor them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to respect them, love them, fear them, and honor them. I hope that you kind of, some way through here, felt like we were repeating ourselves. I hope that you kind of felt like we've talked about this before. I could have given you 25 passages that all give us instructions on how to live our life as believers. And they're all going to kind of sound the same. One's going to key in on this thing. Another's going to key in over here. Another's going to bring this other element in. But they're all going to talk about you're not, you're not who you were. You're somebody different. Live the life of a different person in front of everyone who knew you before. So that they'll ask questions and you can give an answer. And in that answer, we're going to point people towards Christ. The last thing in your notes there, God has not left any of us without motive, means, and opportunity. Sounds like all of a sudden we switched to a crime show, right? Motive, means, and opportunity. God has not left us without motive. Our motive is to serve God, to show him to others, introduce them to Christ. We have the means. We have our testimony. We have the scriptures. We have the promises. We have our changed life. And an opportunity. God will give us opportunity to serve and to speak on his behalf. He's not left us without these things. Therefore, we will make a difference in the kingdom is building. We simply need to be active. We need to be active and not passive. The passive person does not hear the question and therefore does not answer it. The passive person does not see the opportunity, therefore they do not seize it. The passive person isn't paying attention to those around him, so they're not praying effectively. They're, they're not praying relevantly. The passive person just lives their life hoping to, to fly under the radar and not get anyone's attention. They don't want the pagans' attention because they don't want to be singled out. And they don't want the Christians' attention because they're going to be asking for more. The, the person who says, I am a new creation and I'm going to embrace this, says, I am going to live the life Christ has called me to live, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the circumstances, and regardless of whether I get promoted or not, whether I get rich or not, whether I have more friends or not, my relationship with Christ is the most important thing. It is the priority. So I believe I'm a new creation. If you're saved, that's not an issue. You can tell that just by how you feel on the inside. I believe I'm a new creation. Help me practically understand what that looks like. I hope these scriptures have helped you practically understand what that looks like. It's about daily living. It's about hearing from the Word of God. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit. And it's about letting other people in on that experience. Let's pray. Father, I'm just going to bypass the, 
the beginning of, of saying it together because we are new creations if we believe in you if if we have accepted your gift of salvation there's no doubt about it we can we can tell that it's the process of learning how to live that can be harder learning the lessons from scripture following your instructions understanding what the holy spirit sounds like when he speaks to us the, these are the things that are hard to do it's, it's sometimes hard to face someone we used to sin with and explain to them why we're not sinning anymore in that area. It can be a, a difficult thing to all of a sudden represent you when we did not in the past. Help us to embrace the fact that we're new creations. Help us to, to reason through with wisdom and knowledge what our life should look like and how we should be living. And then help us to accomplish that. We want to serve you well. We want to introduce others to you so they can have eternal life. And we want to please you. Holy Spirit, help us learn how to do that. Help us in that process. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.